Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Holy Ground, was given on December 10th, 2017, by Bethany Shea, in the series, Grounded. I'm glad that you are all here. It's good to see you all. Uh, We are in the second Sunday of Advent, and so this Sunday we'll be lighting the candle for love. Um, And the candles are a little tricky to light, so it's almost like, you know, you have to work for love or that sort of thing. So (laughs) work for hope. So we'll be lighting those candles when the kids come in during service. But usually what we do here is we we gather together um, for a couple songs just to kind of get us warmed up and get the juices flowing together. And then we go into our time of teaching and getting into the scripture. And then we usually have a time of discussion after that if, if, uh, if it feels like the right thing during that time, which it usually does. And then, uh, and then we worship Jesus together for another three songs. So in that space is what we call response. We get to respond to the teaching. We get to respond to the scripture. We get to respond to the Holy Spirit and what we feel the Spirit is doing in our lives. Um, and the way we do that is we have the three songs together that we sing. Uh, we have communion. We take the Lord's Supper every week, and I'll explain a little bit more of that later. Uh, we also have uh, people that are willing to pray if you have any prayer requests or prayer needs. Um, and then the, the whole sanctuary is your space. And so if you feel like you want to wander during worship or lay on a pew during worship or kneel at the altar up there, it's, this is your space and your time just to worship Jesus and to be present together in this community. So there's no right or wrong way to worship God, um, just to be present to his presence. All right, am I not on? Can you hear me? I may have unplugged it. Am I on now? Well, well so I'm not, the, the, the sound doesn't come through. It just goes for Facebook Live, so maybe Facebook won't be communicating today. <laughs> So good thing you are all here and not watching online. <laughs> uh, so I want to open up in prayer, and, um, and then we'll just go ahead and get into our scripture today. All right, so um, if you can, open up your hands as a way of symbolically releasing this time before God and in a way of receiving as well. So Lord, it is such a joy to be in your presence, to be in this place um, to know that you are with us all of the time, just to be more aware of your presence because we are together here, that we brought you into this room. And we understand that this space isn't sacred because of the space. It is sacred because of the people. And so we honor your time, we honor this space, and we honor each other with our lives. God, we we release anything before you that's keeping us from being fully present to your presence. Lord, we ask for hearts willing to receive from you what we have, what you have for us today. God, I know that you have a word for each person, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of joy and peace. And we also recognize that, that this season is so hard for so many, that there's a lot that happens in the holidays that brings up um, new loss and old loss. So God, we pray especially for those who are feeling that sense of loss right now. We pray that your spirit, your spirit of comfort, your spirit of peace and presence is just in each of our lives right now. We thank you for Advent in this time of longing and waiting as we wait 
for your joy once again, Jesus. It is for your glory and in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are in the second Sunday of Advent. Advent really just means longing. It means waiting. It means anticipating like this holy anticipation for what we know is coming, which is Christmas Day, happy birthday, Jesus. Who does a birthday cake? Does anybody do a birthday cake as a tradition? No, me neither. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's, and it's just this beautiful space of waiting and longing. And so we wanted to carve out time for that. Every Wednesday during Advent, we're opening up the sanctuary to just have space for you guys. Uh, the first hour from 6 to 7 p.m. is just hot tea and music and candles and Bibles and journaling and all of that just to be still and to pre- prepare Christ's room in our lives. And then from 7 to 8, we've been doing a yoga guided, guided yoga meditation in here for Advent. Uh, last week, Frida led it, and it was incredible. There was probably about 25 people here with yoga mats and candles lit and um, just preparing our hearts space for the Lord to, to be here. Um, and oftentimes the holidays go so quick. We're just like running around like crazy and we miss the beauty of what Jesus has done in this world and continues to do. So the second Sunday of Advent is what we're in right now. Uh, we're making space in scripture to look at this forever theme throughout scripture again and again is this theme of God's desire and passion to connect with and to be with God's creation. I mean, from the very beginning pages of our Bibles to this continued church that we see in Acts to where we are today, we read about and experience a divine being who is fully committed to and fully faithful to and bound to humanity. And the heart of God's interwoven connection with humans is seen in that Christmas story. But before that, it's foreshadowed in Isaiah that we looked at last week, where that prophet Isaiah, almost 700 years before Christ's birth, uh, he writes about a baby who will be born, and he calls that baby Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the story that we're in, the story that we're in right now, this one that it, it began with God breathing life into existence. He took the dirt which Hebrew, the Hebrew word for dirt is Adama. That, that name that we get Adam from is, is dirt. He took Adama, and then he took part of the Adama and created something called Eve out of it. And the Hebrew for Eve is life. He created dirt and life. And then God dwelt with God's creation and the beauty of it all in those beginning pages of Genesis. And then within that story, what we see is we read that humans begin to cover themselves up. We just do this all the time. We're wanting to cover ourselves up because of shame, because of um, just feeling like we, we don't belong. And so humans begin to cover themselves up because they missed this mark that God had created for humans to live into. Humans were convinced that there must be more, that we are dissatisfied in what God has created as good. And what they had wasn't enough, and they believed that God must be holding out. And there's a story in the Bible of a snake or serpent that represents everything that's against God, saying that God's not good, God's a holder, God is not wanting to have you have a great life. God's holding back from you. So you're just going to need to figure it out a different way. 
And that's something that we get convinced in again and again. Like this, this belief is still strong today, I think, for a lot of us. This belief that we don't have enough. That God's not actually good. That I need more or I need to be more in order to feel valued or validated. And then this lie just kind of separates us from God's love. It, 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 it just continually separates us. Not because God withdraws from us, but because we withdraw from God. But what we see throughout the pages of scripture is this story of God continually pursuing humans. God doing God's very best to convince us that we are loved, that we are lovable, that we are worthy of love, that we get to receive this love of God, and then we just get to bestow it upon others. We become receivers and bestowers. That's like our job in life is just to receive God's love and to give it out to every single person. The story of God with us that we're looking at throughout Advent, it began in the beginning. It was confirmed with Isaiah, with Emmanuel. It was radically seen as God being born as Jesus Christ into a place of poverty and a place of scandal to an unmarried young woman. But the most radical and absurd place that we see God with us is through when human beings submit their lives to Jesus Christ. To, to follow in the ways of Jesus in every area of our life because then it's not just God with us, it's God in us. The, the, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within those who have said yes to committing to follow Jesus. And that same Spirit then empowers us and compels us and, and, and equips us to continually spread the love of Jesus everywhere we go. And the story of God with us is one of God's faithfulness and affirmation of God's creation, starting with dirt and starting with life. And the ground, so, so what we see last week, what we looked at last week is that the ground is good, that God created the ground and said, this is good. And the ground is where we begin. This whole series that we're calling is, is called Grounded because we begin with the ground. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, um, throughout all of Advent, I've been praying the Lord's Prayer every day, but in that Lord's Prayer, uh, we pray that, that, the Lord's, that God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer of being grounded in God's good creation. It's a prayer of us having a call to bring that good back here, to care for the soil, to not waste or destroy, to grow and cultivate. And that is our call as a people. So we're not waiting for life to begin once we've passed away into eternity. God's call and mandate is for human beings to continue the story of creation, bringing all that heaven represents to earth. And then God promises to be with you in this good calling. God equips you. He uses your story of the joys in your story, the pain in your story is all used to help you bring healing to other people. And Jesus is the one, God is the one that equips you to do those things. So this morning, um, I wanted to look at one of the most important figures in the Judeo-Christian story in, in our history. Uh, and that is the figure of Moses. Uh, and so it's gonna, we're going to look at the story of Moses and God. So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles? Does everybody have a Bible? Hey, Claire, do you mind grabbing some Bibles since you're back there? Thanks, love. 
Um, so you can turn your Bibles to Exodus 3, and as you're turning there, I'm going to give you some backstory of Moses for all of you who haven't seen all of the Hollywood films about Moses, which most of you probably already know everything there is to know about him. Anybody else need a Bible? Sweet. Thanks, thanks. Perfect. Get your Bibles here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're going fast. Hot ticket, hot ticket. <laughs> All right. So um, Moses was born in a time that uh, he was born in Egypt during a very oppressive time. There was enforced labor that was placed upon the Jewish people who lived in Egypt during the time of Moses. Uh, both of his parents were from the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi was a priestly tribe. They were set up by God to be the people that, um, that brought the rest of the Israelites, the rest of the Hebrew people, into the ways of God. It was a calling placed on that, that lineage of Levi people. Um, and so basically what it means is it's, it's, they were in charge of perpetuating the stories of God, that the God that they worship, the God of Israel, is one that doesn't demand but one that invites. And during that time, there were lots of stories of lots of gods, and what you see were the gods always demanded. They wanted more. They were never satisfied. It was never enough. And so the people of Israel were sharing about this God that was so different, that invited people into a relationship instead of demanding from them. They perpetuated the story. Perpetuates kind of a negative word. They continued the story of, uh, that, that, that this is the God who asks his people to be a blessing to the other nations, not to destroy other nations, but to be a blessing to them. And the Levites, they, they revealed God's nature in this way by creating these sacred spaces to worship God. This was before the, the temple was set up or the tabernacle was set up or those houses of worship. And so if you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see people like, um, like last week we looked at Jacob and a way that he worshiped God was he would set up like, a bunch of stones and the stones would represent his space that he worshiped God in. So this was before there was a, there was like a, a space, like a tabernacle or a temple. So during the time of Moses's birth, uh, the Bible says that the people of Egypt were starting to fear an uprising from the Hebrew people because they had grown in such a great number. And so they, there was a, there's stories that, that the, that they would kill, they were going to kill all the Hebrew baby boys. And so Moses' mother is very hopeful for her son. And so she places him in this floating basket, which is such a good idea. I mean, if you're going to send your baby somewhere not to be killed, why not send them down a river? I could only imagine, like, if I put my kid in the Mad River, they'd end up in the ocean. No one would come and rescue him. <laughs> it's just it's a little nuts. So she places him in this basket. She sends her daughter after, after the basket, just says, like, you know, keep an eye on him. Let me know if, like... He ends up somewhere, or I guess if a crocodile comes, I'm sure there's crocodiles there, right? It's just like, just keep an eye on him if anything happens. So this basket is floating down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter is out taking a bath in the river, and she sees the basket, hears the baby, pulls the baby out, and it has like complete compassion for this baby. Knows he's a Hebrew, I'm sure because of circumcision, and she's like, well, free baby. I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him. She names him Moses, which means out of the water from the water. And she raises this child as her own. She adopts Moses. 
And his sister was following him. He's like, or she's probably about 10 years old. And she like runs up to Pharaoh's daughter. She's like, hey, this baby's going to need to eat. And I know someone who can feed him. How about you let my, this person I know come over here and feed this baby? And it was her mom, of course. And so the mom comes and I'm sure the mom has to move in because a, a baby needs constant provision. So the mother moves in to the home of this palace and in this time of history, Hebrew babies weren't weaned until they were three or four. Yay, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Well, it was so crooked. We put it up three weeks ago, and it was so crooked. I was like, it never fell, and now it did. It was leaning the other way. All right. Thanks, team. We can, we can figure it out later, too. Just put it up for now. Well, after, we're, after church, we'll fold up chairs and everybody can go up there and figure out the tree. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's always an adventure. I know. Good morning. <laughs> okay, so uh, they, would wean, they would usually wean the child around three to four years old. At this point. And so I can imagine with this mother, this mother who has given birth to a child who is no longer hers because he's been adopted. And she can't tell the mother or the, you know, the, the princess that this baby was hers. And I can imagine she's caring for this child, nursing this child, speaking the truth of God's love over this baby, over this infant, over this toddler. <laughs> And I can imagine these quiet moments of storytelling that this, this child has come through a priestly line and cannot be a priest, has a different path going forward to him, but yet she's still instilling the truth of God's love and faithfulness, singing Hebrew songs over him as he's nursing. And I can just imagine those sacred spaces that happened to Moses when it was just those foundational times for him. Now, Moses grew up split between two people, right? He was Hebrew. He was Egyptian. But he also seems to be neither of those things. He seems very confused throughout his identity. He seems to try to figure out where he can actually fit within either spaces, where he belongs, if he belongs at all. And the Bible shows him as a teenager leaving the palace. And he's like going outside of the palace to the, to the villages, to the cities below. And he's looking at the Hebrew people and, and, and he's watching them being forced to the, into this like backbreaking work and labor. And he sees one of them being beaten by, um, beaten by one of the, the Egyptians. And something wells up within Moses while he sees this happen. And he responds to that emotion by murdering the Egyptian who was abusing the Israelite slave. And I wonder if at that moment he realized that he had chosen a side. He had figured out who he had to let go of in a horrible way. But what we see is that he goes and tries to integrate himself in with the Hebrew people, with the Israelites, and what happens is they reject him. They're like, no, no, we saw what you did. First of all, you're not one of us because you weren't anything, you were never a part of us. And second of all, you're a murderer, and that doesn't fit within God's things. And so he, he finds that he has no identity as a Hebrew priest, 
and he has no identity as an Egyptian prince, and everything starts to crumble, so he leaves. He no longer knows who he is, so he takes off. He flees away from Egypt. He goes to this place of Midian. Do we have a picture of the, do we have a map on there? I don't know if it got up there. Anyway, there's a, so, okay, y'all can think of the Red Sea. It's got like the little, the little tail on the top. If you all can, oh, hey, there it is. So there's names on here. We can run the names. So uh, he's over, over there in that really green spot. That's where uh, Moses is. And he flees over to this part of the whale tail right there. That's where Midian is. And then right over here is where we'll go later. That's where um, Mount Horeb is and Sinai. So we'll get there in a minute. But he's right over, in, well, it says Mount Sinai right there. In the other maps, it's over there. I don't know. I've never been there. But <laughs> uh, he, so he's in that general area. And this is where he ends up putting some roots down. And the reason that he goes there is because Midian is, uh, they're distant relatives of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites. They were, um, Midian is one of Abraham's sons and eventually has an, his own group of people. So Moses ends up in, in Midian. He is by a well one day and he has, there's like these, a bunch of girls are at the well. They're all sisters. They're like getting ready to feed their animals and water their animals. And these shepherds come by and they're like harassing the girls. And, and uh, Moses is like, oh dude, that's not okay. So he goes and he gets rid of all the, the shepherds. And the girls go back to their dad who happens to be a priest um, of Midian. And they're like, hey, this guy like totally stepped in. This Egyptian dude stepped in and helped us. And, uh, and the dad's like, oh, well, hey, why don't we have him over for dinner? And they're like, yeah, yeah, have him over for dinner. So he goes to dinner and he's like, hey, we wanted to say thank you with dinner. Here's one of my daughters. Why don't you marry her? So it was a great way of saying thank you. I guess that's how they did it back then. So he marries this girl named Zipporah. Uh, and they settle down in this area. And Moses, what we see is Moses settles down as a shepherd. And he simply sees himself, the Bible says he sees himself as a foreigner in a foreign land. So he's there, but he knows he doesn't belong. And he feels like he doesn't belong. And, and, and he doesn't seem to know who he is or where he belongs. So he just exists. So life for Moses is kind of like this simple existence without purpose and without direction. He is no priest and he is no prince. And I'm not sure if he's okay with this existence or what he's experiencing, but I think that God knows that there's more for Moses than simply existing. That God just has to convince Moses of more, and Moses needs to be open to this sort of request that there's more for him. And I think that God has more for each of us. I think that when we look at the scripture, I think so much of us, we just live our lives after school or, or in our jobs, and we're just simply existing. But you are created for good things. You, you are created for a good purpose that goes beyond clocking in and out, or just filling up your gas tank, or eating frozen pizza, or just those daily routines that we do. We are made for more, because God has given you a story God has given you a story with a purpose and with a purpose that's for good things that only you can do. And God wants to empower you into those places. And God knew that was true for Moses. He gave him a story that was meant for good things. Now, Moses' story was kind of unique because he kind of had that like 
dual identity of Egyptian and Hebrew. But at the same time, he didn't really have any identity at all. He was, or at least he was actually very confused on who he was or what he was supposed to be doing. He's, um, it's, he's probably at this point that we get to in the scripture, he's about 50 or 60 years old. He's no spring chicken anymore. <laughs> and, and, and he's had this nomadic or foreign displaced life. Um, and, and that's what he's known the longest. I mean, he's known the upbringing from his mom as his wet nurse. He knows life in Egypt until he was in his late teens. But he's now 50 or 60 years old. What he's known the longest is a displaced existence. So let's turn to chapter 3 and we'll read verses 1 to 4 to begin with in Exodus. Does somebody want to read verses 1 to 4 with, for me? Anybody? Thanks, Clark. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Good. Thank you. I love that. Yeah, what's up? I'm right here. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I always look at things like this, and I'm like, oh, man, I can really use a burning bush right now. Uh, and I look at this passage, and I wonder how it's been 50 years. It's been 50 years and God is just now approaching Moses. Why did it take God so long? And I, 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 think, I think God's been w- with Moses all along. I, I think that Moses perhaps never opened his eyes to see that God was there the entire time. There's a story of a prophet named Elijah in the Bible who actually goes to the same mountain. And in some Bibles it says Horeb and others it says Sinai. It's the same mountain. And Elijah goes to this mountain and he like, uh, he's like going there to, to meet with God. This is like 500 years after what happened here with Moses. And Elijah goes to meet with God and he's like, I need, I need you to show up, God. I need a burning bush type moment because I cannot do what I'm doing any longer. And he's like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And there's like this huge earthquake. And he's like, yeah, this is where God is. And it was dead silence. And then there was this huge thunder crack. And he's like, ah, that is where God is. God's going to just show up. It's going to be awesome. And there was no God. And then there was like this huge firebolt. And yes, but God was still not there. And so you see Elijah's kind of like just lean back in disappointment. Like, I came here to meet with you. Where are you? And the Bible says that God shows up like, Elijah's ears just prickled and he shows up with a whisper. It says a still, small voice. Something that could be so easily missed if we weren't paying attention. And I think for Moses, God had been there all along. Moses just never was available to pay attention. Moses had been living his whole life with these stories of God's love 
and faithfulness seeped into his body while he nursed. He had priestly blood in his DNA. The stories of God's love were woven into his bloodstream before birth from generations back. Yet he just existed without stepping into his purpose until God made some sort of grand gesture to get his attention. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes God just does this crazy gesture, one that we would not even invite into ourselves, something that makes us scratch our heads and wonder, wait, what are you doing here? And it's to get our attention. And he says, okay, yeah, I'm here. You're calling my name. The bush is burning up, but not burning up. It's super weird, but I'm here. I can hear you. I can hear you. I'm finally listening. Because God came down. This whole story of Advent is God with us, is Emmanuel. And in this moment, God showed up and Moses was able to see. God had been there all along, but Moses was finally able to see that God was with Moses. God with us and the ground dirt, and life altogether. Let's keep reading. Um, Georgia, can you read verses 5 and 6? Sure. Thanks. Uh, then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look. Thank you. I love that. So in that, if you notice in your Bibles, it says, I am the God of your father. It's not plural there. And I wonder if it's not plural because he's speaking to his actual dad. Like, like his DNA is one that says, even though you weren't raised by this dad, it, the priestly blood is in you. This is who you are meant to be. This is who I created you to be. I am the God of your father. And, and God asks him, he says, take off your sandals. And just to give you guys a heads up, we're totally going to take off our shoes later in service. So just to make it super awkward. <laughs> uh, because, okay, seriously though, like, People show up to sermons and they, they get the sermon or whatever, but it never really sticks. But the thing is, like, God is such a God of props that he wants you to remember things that, um, that the words will, ne- that will just, like, go th- right through. But you'll remember that your shoes were off. You'll remember that. And that's, that's who God is. He wants us to remember what's going on, that he is so present all the time. So God is saying that Moses is finally ready to see what this earth is for what God has built into the foundations of it all. He's ready to understand the holiness of it. This holy ground. It's Adama Kodesh. What, was, what, what did God create humans out of? And what is that word? Adama. The holy ground. Holy dirt. The sandals had to be removed because what separates us from God has to be removed. What we receive our identity from, all of those things that we cover ourselves up trying to figure out who we are, trying to place those labels on us and be understood and be valued from and try to receive our our validation from has to be removed. 
for us to understand who God made us as and what God has made us for. Sandals were not simply foot protection. I mean, they were back then for sure, and they still are today, but they symbolized something greater back then. Sandals symbolized purity. It, It symbolized property, social contracts, and social status. If I preached my sermon in Louboutins, for you who got it, <laughs> thanks, Marcia. <laughs> if I preached my sermons in Gucci or Versace or any of those really, really fancy things, you guys would probably not take my words as seriously. If I drove a crazy, expe- like a, I don't even know what kind of car, like yeah, what, like a Rolls Royce? Yeah, whatever. All of those fancy cars with my Jesus sticker on the back, the Jesus sticker wouldn't mean as much if, if, if I am showing that my identity is through what I drive. There's an Old Testament professor by the name of Portia Young, and she's from Duke, and she says that in New Kingdom Egypt, this is the time that, that Moses would have been in Egypt, New Kingdom Egypt, a pair of sandals could be purchased for the price of a sack of grain. And though not strictly a luxury, she said, footwear was nonetheless an investment. Sandals of higher status individuals were more artfully made, sometimes adorned with pieces of precious materials and other decorations. Sandals that were discovered in the tomb of Tut-Ankh-Amon bore the image of foreign captives upon the insole, proclaiming that with the king's every step, Egyptian royal power was over the peoples and nations that his armies had subdued. Shoes meant something. And for God to tell Moses to take his sandals off, it was God's way of helping remove all the other identities that Moses attempted to assume. It was God stripping away anything left so God could then build something new on that good foundation that was already there. And Moses' story of Levi priest and Egyptian prince, it would kind of be that building block that God would use to remind the people of God's faithfulness, that his presence was there all along, that the people of Israel in their, in their hard state hadn't been forgotten, that God's ear was bent towards their cries. God would use Moses' story of that dual citizenship, of that dual identity to tear everything down and build something brand new from that foundation that was there from the very beginning. And this holy ground that Moses stood on with naked and exposed and uncovered feet became the very place that God would eventually build God's law of love on when they went there back there for Sinai, when God wrote the Ten Commandments down, when God gave Moses the law for the people of God to follow. As we go into our time of response, um, I want to read the rest, most of this chapter. I'd like to go through verse 15 and then just have a time of discussion of what comes up um, with God's, uh, with God equipping God's people. I I think that um, this reading really shows that, that God calls people, he equips people into a calling then shows God that he's with them. And since we're looking at Advent as God with us, I want to read this this whole passage here. 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Amen. From that passage, did anything come up for you? Did any, is there any kind of questions that arise or challenge or um, where do you see God with us in this? sees, God hears, and God is concerned. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. chapter 4, verses 10 and 13, 
Moses is like, pardon me, Lord. Are you sure? I don't think you've got this right. (laughs) Please send someone else. (laughs) Which I think is so true for so many of us because, oh my gosh, it's there's, there's things that God has equipped us for and called us towards, but it's so frightening and we feel like, I'm not ready for that. Ariel, our children's minister, when we, when we uh, put the job out a year ago, we're like, we need a children's minister. She, um, she was like, that's not my role. And then she felt like the Lord was saying, you know what? You probably aren't meant for something like this for the rest of your life, but I'm going to fill in all those spaces that you aren't going to be able to do. And she like came up and she's just like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this and I know God's going to equip me in these ways. And it is incredible the way that she stepped out in faithfulness and what's been going on in the children's ministry. It is, the kids make awesome food and learn about Jesus and it's been really cool. Has anybody else stepped into that place where God has equipped you in places that you thought you wouldn't be able to, to step into? Yeah? Anybody having stories or thoughts about that? Becoming a parent. Yes. Totally. Every day. Yeah. Oh, man. Becoming a parent is like your knees get worn out from being in prayer all the time. Just to (laughs) make it through day after day. Yeah. Good. Anything else come up as we go into our time of worship? pretty incredible that um uh, verse 12 god and god says i will be with you and this will be a sign to you and that is exactly the language that gabriel uses with mary when he approaches her and says god will be with you and this will be a sign to you you will give birth and you will call this this child emmanuel or jesus he will save um the people it's incredibly beautiful that language yeah good all right, um, so we're going to go into our time of response, and this is your space to worship Jesus. We'll sing three songs together. We'll have communion in the back. Uh, communion is, is a perfect uh, reminder of what God was doing through Moses and what God continued to do forth through Jesus. Um, uh, Passover was a time of celebration where Moses... If you all remember the story, like he came through and through, through the Lord, he rescued the people out of uh, Israel or out of Egypt, um, out of that slavery and sent them on a new path. And, um, and the people of Israel get together every year to celebrate Passover. And Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples and they were up in this room uh, enjoying this meal. And then Jesus like took it to a whole different level with his followers. 
He said, this meal that represents God's, uh, the freedom that God offers and the way that he rescued his people from a life of slavery and what enslaves us, it didn't just happen. It will keep happening through me, through my sacrifice. And so then he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And then he took juice and he poured it and he said this, this, he took wine, we have juice. Uh, he poured it and he said, this wine represents my blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That any place that you have been keeping yourself covered up, any place that you were closing your ears or just existing is, is something that Jesus wants to get into and shake up and uncover and reveal this great purpose and plan that he has for your life. And he said, anytime you get together, when you get together with other people, other believers, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of who I was here on this earth, who I am still today, and who you are as my people. And so we celebrate that every week here at Catalyst. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. Just whenever you feel ready, you can come back. I'll give you a piece of bread and you can dip it in the juice. Uh, and we're going to sing one song first, and then we're going to pause with the kids coming in. We'll light the love candle, and then we'll sing two more songs. Um, and if you are willing, which I hope you all are, uh, take your shoes off when we worship. I'll pray, and you can go somewhere else and take your shoes off in the room, or you can take them off right where you are. Uh, you can keep your socks on if you want, because um, it doesn't say anything about socks, you guys. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and then we'll worship. Sound good? All right, let me pray. Jesus, uh, God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for your love for us that never runs out. We thank you for your promises in our lives that you are here with us, that you never have left us or forsaken us. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you are with us in all things. Emmanuel. And as we worship you today, Jesus, we pray that this simple sacrifice of taking our shoes off of experiencing this holy ground will compel us into becoming a type of people that are holy and set apart to do your will in this world, to be your hands and feet in this world, to bring about this healing and unbroken connection with you and with each other within ourselves and within this earth. We love you and we thank you that you love us so much. May we worship you today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.